His name is Gerard, and Gary lives up in the area of Excelsior, Minnesota. And Gary, um, on a daily basis, goes out to a cemetery. And at that cemetery, he will carry with him a penny or pennies in his pocket and a bugle by his side, and he will approach the grave sites of veterans of our country. He'll place a penny on the tombstone. He'll stand back and recite the name of the individual buried there. And then he'll raise the bugle to his mouth and play taps. Gary's 68, retired, sold a good business, has the time to do it, and he sees this as a way to honor the veterans of our country in a very special way. He went to a funeral a couple of years ago. He went because his friend's father had passed away. His father, this friend's father, had been a World War II vet. Gary noticed at the funeral that when they played taps, it came from a fake trumpet with a recording of taps. It's done more and more. Gary said, that's not right. That should never happen. And so he went that day out and he bought a bugle he had never played before. He went and took lessons on how to play the bugle. He registered with the BAA, the Buglers Across America. And now he plays as a volunteer at about 100 funerals a year. But on those days when he's not, he walks through a cemetery and for 45 minutes to an hour finds the gravesite of a veteran. Puts the penny on the tombstone. Raises the bugle. And plays taps. Not a day goes by that Gary does not play taps. And at the end of the day, every evening as the sun sets over his lakeside home, he walks to the railing of his deck and points his horn toward the water. His neighbors no longer close their windows. In fact, they stop what they're doing. They stand at attention. And they listen. On some nights, his neighbor, Alan Green, emerges on his deck to accompany Gary on his flute. It's a last call, it's daily rest, it's a prayer. It's honoring those who have served our country so well. I want to do the same thing here today. I don't want to play taps, but if you're a veteran of any portion of our armed forces, or if you are currently serving here in any branch of the armed forces, I want you to stand today. Would you do that, veterans stand? And Chapel Rock, let's thank them for their service. And let us pray for them. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for those who have given of themselves in order to protect our freedom. And Father, we're grateful for those who have even given sacrificially their lives. And so Father, we honor those who have served well. The same way, Father, we want to honor you for serving us by giving us the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And so, God, we thank you for these men and women who have served well here for the United States of America and the freedoms that we enjoy. And, Father, may we always stand to honor them and to give them encouragement. And, Father, may we always take a stand for you and lift up your name and tell others of the sacrifice of Jesus. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We're in a series called Invested. And we're in that series called Invested because there are many ways for us to invest in the kingdom of God. And Casey opened the series last week and talked about investing in our neighbors and how we can do that effectively. And and then he asked me if I would approach the subject of invested in discipline. I jumped on that one. I like discipline, okay? And I said I'd be glad to do that. And he said, why don't you head the direction of being invested in the discipline of giving or tithing or something of that nature? And I said, I, I tell you what, I want to go a step farther. I want to talk about being invested in the discipline of generosity. I want to take you today to take a good look at what the Bible says about being invested in the discipline of generosity. Now, there there are many, many spiritual disciplines we have. There's the spiritual discipline of prayer. And there's a spiritual discipline of Bible study. And there's a spiritual discipline of fasting. There's a spiritual discipline of memorization of Scripture. And we can go on and on and on. We could talk about many others, but, but the spiritual discipline of generosity is one we don't hit on very often. We get a little squeamish when we talk about giving, don't we? We get a little bit uh, funny about, oh, that's all they ever talk about, right, up front, when it's not. But we get a little squeamish about that, but, but I want to talk to you today about that very discipline, the discipline of generosity. Now, when I thought about discipline, I thought, what, what graphic, what, what image could we give that would portray discipline? I thought about, you know, okay, maybe, maybe lifting, but I thought this was better. All of these German shepherds lined up, a cat going in front of every single one of them, and not a one of them chasing the cat. That's discipline, you know. That's the ability to stay away from that temptation that's in front of you. That discipline to stay and do what you're supposed to do. And then I thought about generosity. What would that look like? There are a lot of things we could have shown you, but this is what I liked. A little guy's got an ice cream cone in a day and age where our culture would even say, Mine! He's sharing with this friend and has done it more than once. Notice there's ice cream around both of their mouths quite a bit. That's generosity. But the discipline of generosity goes a little bit deeper. In Scripture, it's spoken of quite often. In the Old Testament, we find these verses, beginning back in Deuteronomy, we find passages of Scripture that tell us about what generosity should be. We're going to throw those on the screen here real quick, and we're going to go from Deuteronomy 15.10. Give generously to them, and do so without grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, and in everything you put your hand to. What's the first thing you're supposed to do? Give generously. 
Proverbs 11, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed themselves. And then on to another one, later on in Proverbs 22, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Now you can find many, many others, hundreds of passages throughout the Bible that talk about being generous towards somebody else and the discipline that it takes in order to do that very thing. There are many quotes out there you could grab a hold of. I like the one from Winston Churchill. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And Anne Frank, author and, and a teacher, said, no one has ever become poor by giving. Isn't that true? I mean, when you think about it, generosity is something that we, we need to practice on a daily basis. And, and it's the discipline that keeps us out of trouble. In fact, I believe generosity is the one thing that keeps the things that we own from owning us. Did you hear that? Generosity is what keeps the things we own from owning us. You know that really nice house you dreamt all the years to have and then you got it and now you got to keep the lawn up because your neighborhood has covenants and there's no basketballs unless the basketball goes except the ones that roll away and you got to mow your yard on the same day that your neighbors mow your yard and everything else and all of a sudden you're into this thing and you're thinking wow and it owns you we do that with a lot of different things in life different possessions different things own us and and that's not generosity when you're generous with what God has given to you, then that's going to keep those things from owning you. In fact, if I gave you a definition of generosity that leans a little more toward the biblical side, we'd probably use the one you're going to see on the screen. It's the habit of giving freely without expecting anything in return. Now notice I use the word habit. It's the habit of giving freely. It's what we do. It becomes a part of our lifestyle. It's not something that we just talk about. It's not something that we teach others to do, but we do it ourselves. It's being invested in the discipline of generosity. So, so what does that do in you? What does that trigger in you? Well, there are two perspectives that we need to see in the Bible that will help us to play this out in our lives. That very first perspective is we need to recognize that God has been generous with us. Oh my goodness, when you think about what God did. In fact, He proved that to us in the events that surrounded the crucifixion and the resurrection. The gift of Jesus was the most generous gift that has ever been given. In fact, doesn't the Bible teach us from the most well-known verse around the world, John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His one and only. He, he gave His, his one-of-a-kind Son that whoever believes in Jesus, they'll never perish. But they're going to have everlasting life. That's an example of God's generosity toward us. And in fact, along lines, that same lines, we know that that gift of God was so generous that you can't hardly describe what it does for you. We find that in 2 Corinthians. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. What is that gift? It's the gospel of salvation, the redemption scheme that comes through Jesus Christ. That's the gift that's almost indescribable. How do you tell others about that? You see, God planned to do it all along. 
From the very beginning of time, God planned what he was going to do in order to give you eternal life. If you go to Ephesians, the first chapter, it tells us that God had this plan in mind. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. That passage says time and time again, it's in Christ, it's through Christ, it's God's plan. That's how He made provision for every single one of us. God's gift is indescribable. And He planned to do it. He didn't just do it on a whim. He planned to do it. He planned to be generous with us. In fact, in Ephesians, the second chapter, there's three verses that teach us the same thing. Paul writes, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. That's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I think we have to understand that when we see those verses, He prepared this for us. He intended it for us. It was God's plan from the very beginning. Wow. He is so generous with us to give us that salvation when we don't deserve it. But, but you know, when we start living out life, we've got to remember one thing, that all of our blessings belong to Him. Everything that we have in this life, all of our resources, everything we have belongs to God. Psalm 24 and verse 1 reminds us of that very thing. And that Bible verse says that, that all things are purpose for God. The earth is the Lord's, and everything that's in it, the world and all who live in it, in it. How many of you live in the world on this earth? Raise your hand. Some of you didn't raise your hand. Where are you living? You're God's. And everything you have, that car you drove here today, that's God's. The clothes you have on today, those are God's. The watch you wear, the jewelry you have on, God's. The bank account, the retirement fund, that offshore account, 
God's. You see, the Bible teaches us that everything belongs to Him, and all the blessings that He has bestowed upon us, every single resource, they all belong to Him. And so therefore, if He's been so generous with us, then, then we need to think through what that means for every single one of us. Interestingly, I ran across a poem just recently over the last few months. I like it, short, but it says what needs to be said. Go give to the needy sweet charity's bread, for giving is living, the angel said. And must I be giving again and again, my peevish, petulant answer ran. Oh no, said the angel, piercing me through. Just give till the master stops giving to you. And when does God stop? He doesn't. Last year, in, in the year 2016, I read about some police officers here in Indianapolis who were all together. They were on a break, and they were at a Waffle House. And as they were sitting at the Waffle House having coffee, in walked a homeless man. And so the police officers began to have a conversation with him, and they found out that the guy had really had some bad breaks. He had lost his job, then he had a fire at his house that burned it to the ground. He had no insurance. He lost everything he had except what he had on himself at that time. And I mean, the story went on and on and on. Finally, a police officer said, you know, what, what can we do for you? What, what can the department do for you? And the guy said, well, my shoes are pretty worn out. And he showed them, and they were. The problem was this guy was seven foot tall and wore size 17 shoes. 17. You know how big that is? It's like that. <laughs> well, not quite. Okay. That's the one that got away, right? I had a ball player when I was coaching to college who wore size 15s, and we had to be careful because if he left his shoes anywhere on a ball trip, you couldn't find 15s just on the shelf anywhere. These were size 17s. And the guy said, I don't think you can find them anywhere. The police officer said, hang on, I'll be back. The officer went outside, grabbed his cell phone, and he called the front office of the Indiana Pacers. He knew somebody there. He said, hey, you guys, you guys know where we could find some size 17 shoes and told them the story. These officers have already pulled the money. They wanted to go buy them. Pacers front office personnel said, don't worry about it. We have a brand new size 17 here, used to be brought in for Roy Hibbert. He no longer plays here. They're yours. Come get them. They gave size 17 shoes so that the officers could give to this man who had nothing. It's generosity. It's giving, not expecting anything in return. It's the ability to, to live open-handed. It's the ability to, to step up when you need to step up. And God stepped up for us. God was so generous with us. So what does that mean for each and every one of us? Well, we need to be generous with Him. We need to be generous with Him. God expects that as we grow in our faith, as we mature in our faith, as we go further along in our growth of following Him, that we'll learn how to discipline the resources that He's placed at our disposal. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, you find a verse, verse 7, it says each of you should give what you've already decided in your heart to give. Now, what is that? That's discipline. 
That's the ability to say, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to follow through. You've already decided that in your heart. You're not going to do it reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) When I was a kid growing up in church, we used to sing a chorus. God loves a cheerful giver. Give him all you got. Men, we'd get to the place as kids where we'd say, give him all you got. We'd, we'd yell it out, you know, and as we got older and became more adults, we became less likely to shout that. But God loves a cheerful giver. More than that, he loves somebody who purposes in their heart to do the right thing, and they've already decided that, and that's the discipline of generosity. Now, over 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, you find this, on the very first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. What is that? That's discipline. That's making sure that you take what God's already given to you and you use that and discipline that in order to support His kingdom work. That's what we're supposed to do. Because God has been so generous with us, we need to be generous with Him. The Markle Church of Christ in Markle, Indiana, northern Indiana, is an amazing little story. A church that started out pretty small in 1960 and has grown over the years. Their attendance is a little less than 500 these days. But since 1960, they've given in their general offering uh, to keep up their building, to pay their preachers, to keep the light bill paid, and to do work in the community. But that church, over all these years has given $5.2 million to missions in all those years. When I heard that, I read that, I thought, hmm. So I went back only 15 years here at Chapel Rock, checked into, I had the ladies in our office check into it for us. In the last 15 years, you, through your faithful giving and your generosity, we've been able to do $3.6 million to missions. Now, that doesn't count what you do personally. It doesn't count those mission trips you send kids on. It doesn't count what you do outside of your giving here at Chapel Rock. But just think about that in those 15 years. And I don't know, I, we can't find the record that'll tell us what we've done since 1964, but I'll guarantee you that's generosity. That's generosity. And God always wants us to move forward from there. He doesn't want us to recede. He doesn't want us to back up. He doesn't want us to say, well, I don't know if I have the funds to do that. Instead, He wants us to discipline the resources that He's given us in order that we might be able to move forward, to move to another level. You remember in the Excel campaign, I told you time and time again that God always wants us to move to another level, to excel in the grace of giving, right? I mean, if you're you're just a first-time giver, You've never given before, but last week you decided to throw something in the plate. God wants you to move from being a first-time giver to being more of an occasional giver, that you do it more often in your life. If you're an occasional giver, God wants you to become intentional. That every week you're going to decide in your heart what you're going to do, you're going to discipline your money, and you're going to give that to God. If you're an intentional giver, then God wants you to move to become a tither. That means 10% of everything that you take in. Now, if you are a salaried individual and you make $35,000 a year on your job, 
then you ought to give. Before you give to taxes, before you give anywhere else, you ought to purpose in your heart that for a year's time, over 52 Sundays, I'm going to give $3,500 to the Lord. That's called tithing. That's a discipline as well. But if you're already tithing, then what God wants you to do is become a generous giver. He wants you to move to that level. That's a higher level in your giving. In fact, that means that, that what we see in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, passage of Scripture we use for our Excel campaign, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, those are spiritual disciplines too. Then see to it that you also excel in the spiritual discipline of the grace of giving. That's generosity. I can tell you personally it works. When I was first working, uh, you know, I gave 10% of everything I made when I was even working little jobs, you know, going through college. And then when I got out of college, I worked at a golf course. I gave 10% there. I got uh, the position at St. Louis Christian College. I was single at that time. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I gave 10% of everything that God supplied me with, and I had my needs met. Sharon and I got married 38 years ago. We decided right away we're going to do 10%. We did, and we've done that, and we've grown through the years. And after 38 years, I'm happy to tell you that Sherry and I give away 17.5% of everything that God gives us before we pay our taxes and before we do anything else. And our goal is to give away 20%. I can tell you that every single month, the biggest check I write is to God's work. It's not my mortgage. It's not a car payment. It's not my utilities. Over 38 years, God has blessed us and grown us so that we discipline our generosity. I don't tell you that to brag. I tell you that to brag on Him. Because He has supplied and He has made it possible for us to be able to do that. You see, that's where we've moved to that level. And our desire is to move higher in that generous category. So what about you? What is God doing with you? When you hear about all these disciplines and what God wants us to do, how are you going to respond? Jesus talked about it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about it. In Matthew, and in chapter 6, you find these verses. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves. Did you hear that phrase? Don't store up for yourselves. Treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and they steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key verse. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So if your treasure is all caught up in the things of this world, then God says that's where your treasure is. But if you're caught up in being generous with the one who's been generous with you, then your treasure's in heaven. And someday you'll look forward to seeing what's been prepared for you. What a blessing that would be. What a blessing that would be. So, so when God's been generous with us, we need to be generous with Him. I gave you a definition of, of generosity, but I want to give you the definition I have of discipline. It's when I plan, or you plan, to honor God first with my gift, your gift, from His resources. It's when you discipline yourself 
It's when you discipline the resources. It's when you do what he's called you to do so you will honor him. You see, giving and giving generously is the opposite of materialism. You want to get away from materialism? Become generous with God. You want to get away from things owning you in this world? Get generous with God. You want to get to the place where God wants you to be in your life, spiritually? Then practice investing in the discipline of generosity so that God receives the glory and His kingdom will grow. <laughs> I read a story about a guy. His name's Albert Lexi. Albert Lexi, beginning in 1981, shined shoes for a living two days a week outside of the Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. He only charged five bucks. People would come have their shoes shined, and he'd say, that'd be five dollars. And the guy would say, oh, no, no, you did great work. I'm going to give you ten. The guy would get away, and Albert would take the other five. After he took the payment, he'd take the other five and put it in a fund. And every year, he would put those dollars that went above the five bucks, he'd put it in a fund, and that fund was to pay the bills of the children at the hospital whose parents couldn't afford to pay. First year, 1981, gave $750. In 2012, he gave $11,000. Albert retired recently. They went back and did the numbers and figured out that over the period of time that he had started that fund, he'd given over $200,000 to pay for kids' bills who parents couldn't pay. That's generosity. That's the discipline of the resources that God gives you. But let me say this, there's no one that's ever been more generous than God. For God so loved the world that He gave. His one and only Son. That whoever would believe in Jesus, they'll never perish. But they'll have everlasting life. Maybe if I was going to say the definition of generosity again, I would just quote John 3.16. God's been that generous with you. What are you doing with him? If you look further back up in 2 Corinthians 8, they talk about the Macedonian church. They talk about how generous they were in the work of God and, and that they were sacrificial even beyond their poverty. But here's, here's what I find interesting about that church. They first gave themselves to the Lord. You can't really be generous in your life until you give your heart and your life to Jesus. That's when it begins. That's when generosity really explodes. When you give yourself to the Savior. I don't know what you need to do today. Maybe you need to walk the aisle and say, I need Jesus in my life. I need for Him to be my Savior. We can help you do that. Maybe you need to come and pray with somebody. Maybe you, you have not been that generous over the years. You need to be. You need to pray with somebody about that. Come down front. We've got people who will do that. Maybe you don't know exactly what you need to do, then go to the next step room when we're done with service. We've got leaders there who will walk you through it and help you decide. It's time to be generous.
It's time to give yourself to Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. After we do that, while we sing, you come. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us an indescribable gift in the person of Jesus. The sacrifice that was made, Father, on the cross. The resurrection of his life, his body, out of the tomb. God, what an amazing gift that is. And God, we thank you for your generosity toward us when you didn't have to be. But Lord, now we pray that we'll have the opportunity to do the same for you. And I pray for those who have never received Christ as Savior. I pray they'll do that today. They'll take the first step of generosity by giving themselves to you. And after that, Father, through your Holy Spirit, you'll help them to learn how to be generous. And Father, I pray for those who have already claimed Jesus as Savior, but they're struggling with how to live life. I pray you'll show them through your Spirit how to get that done and how to bring glory to your name. And for those who are struggling, Father, with many different things, whether it's a health issue or a job issue or family structure issues, whatever it is, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will move in their lives as well, that they'll become generous with those around them, which will help the situation. So God, whatever it is we need to do, we pray we'll do it today in your name, to your glory, and for you. God, we offer this to you. Thanks for being generous with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.